So our first pillar is to love God. And here's the thing about the Bible that's really interesting, unique, and important. Uh, The Bible says that we love God because He first loved us. Right? And so though everyone who who has read the Bible or who understands Christianity or who even has a thought about Christianity, everyone knows that the centerpiece of Christianity is Christ or Jesus. Right? People who don't even know the Bible, they've heard the name of Jesus uh, because He's a very impactful person who has really uh, His the belief in him has altered the trajectory of this planet many times over across many countries and across many nations Um, and all of that is centered on a love for God that is only possible because God first loves us Amen. Amen? Amen Amen and if you believe in Jesus Christ if you believe he is your Lord and Savior if you've actually you know repented then the whole process of believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and actually to turn around and repent, uh, you know it was only possible because of God. Yeah. Right? And I think any one of us who have found Jesus or have been in really dark moments, you know that the moment where God first showed himself to you, it wasn't a moment where you were at your best. Yeah. And typically God shows up in spite of us. And I know my story, my salvation story, is God showing up in the middle of pure chaos, self-inflicted chaos, and he walked me out of it. Yeah. And I think it brings us back to this concept that Paul brings up of like, like, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's right. And because of God, by his grace, I am what I am. And so God finds us in dark places and he brings us to life. And what happens is we really really begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. What inevitably happens is it begins to consume our lives. Because as the Bible says, our God is a consuming fire. And he consumes us. In a beautiful way. Um... And so I want to take you to a story in Genesis. If y'all have been uh, keeping up with us on our Bible reading with the Bible notebook that we've been doing and our whole soap thing that we've been doing as a community. You read this chapter like three weeks ago, I believe. Um, maybe four, honestly. <laughs> it happened pretty early in uh, our reading plan. And um, I've been stuck on this section of scripture. It's going to be Genesis 29. And I'm going to read verse 31 to 35. But I've been absolutely wrapped up by this section of Scripture. Uh, and so I'll read it to you guys. Uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, uh, and I'll give context in a little bit. I just want to read the verse for now. Uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Yes. And Leah conceived and bore a son. Mm-hmm. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Yes, come on. And again she conceived and bore a son. And she said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name shall be called Levi. And this verse, very important and very beautiful. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she ceased bearing. Uh, Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every single person in the sound of my voice. Uh, God, help me to preach your truth and your truth only. 
Uh, God, may we continue to fall more and more in love with you. Yes. To have you become our center and our focus, God. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, there is a guy, he's actually going to be at the altar conference. Uh, his name is Damon Thompson. Uh, he is a preacher whose sermons have radically altered my life. The way I view the Bible, the way I read the Bible, the way I pray. Uh, he is it just, The way that he expounds upon the word has really impacted me personally. Um, and there's something he was saying a lot in 2018, I believe, because uh, he was on this big crusade going across uh, the country. And um, he would get on stage and every time he get on stage, he would start with two concepts, and both of which uh, I saw really upset people. I saw in the comment section, people would get really mad. The first thing he would say is, marriage isn't hard. Mm-hmm. You just got to be in love. Right. Which is a challenging prospect, because I've been a part of a marriage now. It's not always easy. <laughs> Typically is. It's not always. It's not always easy. And he begins to expound and he says, because love, Jesus says, that the greatest love is to give up your life for another. And so if love isn't a feeling, but it becomes a lifestyle or a sacrifice, suddenly marriage is easy. Because anytime you and your spouse have been arguing, it's because two people have been self-centered instead of self-sacrificial for one another. Because in truth, marriage is about me dying to myself for her and her dying to herself for me. Right? The concept of it's not 50-50. Marriage isn't 50-50. It's 100-100. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes your spouse won't give you the full 100. And so in the name of self-sacrifice, you go forward more. Because sometimes you're not going to give them your all. And they're going to have to go forward for you. Right? And that's this concept that he preaches. is like if we were just so about one another that we weren't about ourselves, marriage would be easy. Yeah. And the next thing he says is, and so with that in mind, Christianity isn't hard. You just have to be in love. And y'all, if you ever find one of his videos where he talks about that and you go to the comment section, it's a flame. It's just a whole hodgepodge of people getting real upset about that. Well, I did this, and well, I got divorced, and well, this happened, and well, that happened. It's like what happened is truth is true no matter what, but sometimes our experiences begin to cloud our understanding. Yeah, yeah. Right? And uh, what happens, we see similar in this story, is you watch Leah slowly get broken down, broken down, and broken down until eventually all she has is God. So who's Leah? And who's her husband? And who's that Rachel that was mentioned? Okay, let's get context. So in the book of Genesis... God made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned, left the garden. They had two kids. One killed the other one, went off. So they had another kid, and that kid had children. Eventually, you see Noah. You see this ark. You see a flood. You see people dying, and you see eight people survive. And you keep following that line, a family, until you get to Abraham. You might have heard of Abraham because he had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. (laughs) I used to teach kids ministry. And I know that song well. So Abraham had many sons in the faith. But realistically he had one. And that guy's name was Isaac. Spelt 
I S A A C. Um, the correct way. <laughs> and then Isaac has two children Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older brother. They were twins, though, born the same day. Esau was born first. And they just filmed the description about Esau. It's like, and he was hairy. And it's like, right. cool. <laughs> but the other one came out grasping at the heel of his twin. He wanted to be born first. And uh, so they literally name him Jacob, which literally means he who grasps at heels. Yeah. And I'm like, what a jerk name. <laughs> and some of y'all are named Jacob. <laughs> or you know someone named Jacob. And you're like, but that's what my name means? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Also, fun fact, so does James. Same name. Okay. Um, so if you know James, let them know. You're grabbing the heels. I'm just kidding. Uh, but he has two sons. And, and the reason is there's a prophecy at their birth. That just like at their birth there was contention, there'll be contention in their life. Mm -hmm. And so you've probably heard the story, firstborn children get a blessing. And the older brother Esau, he comes home and he's like, I'm famished, I'm going to die. Classic drama queen, right? Mm -hmm. I understand Esau. <laughs> because my boy gave up his birthright for a lentil soup and that's ridiculous honestly I have read that story a thousand times and the more my understanding of ancient culture and ancient history expands I still don't get that story it's like some weird nonsense of a story like, and, but maybe like I've never grew up in the Middle East in the olden times I've never been that hungry or that thirsty and then Jacob what a jerk he's like oh you're dying cool cool I will save your life if you give me your birthright. That just goes to show you that God will move on anyone. Right? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? <laughs> so uh, Esau gives up his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. Have you ever had lentils? They're nasty. I don't care what any of you say. They're nasty. They're nasty. And he gave up his birthright for something disgusting. And uh, what, what happened is he gives up his birthright and then eventually... It comes time for their father, Isaac, to bless his sons. And he's going to give the blessing of the firstborn to the firstborn son. And he gives the blessing of the secondborn, which isn't really a blessing, to the second son. Because that's how their culture worked. Basically, if you were a firstborn child in the Middle East, back in the Bible days, you got everything. And if you were not a firstborn child... You got, uh, you got to watch your brother get everything. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> and if you were a firstborn girl and your brother was the second one born, well, he's the firstborn. And he gets everything. And it's crazy, right? Now, what you'll see in this story, uh, Jake, uh, Isaac's wife wants Jacob to get the blessing because she likes Jacob more. But Isaac likes Esau more. And can, can we just do, just because I have a favorite child doesn't mean my children are ever going to know that. I'm just kidding. I don't have a favorite child. Uh, <laughs> what, caused, what happens is favoritism causes contention in the home. And so Isaac it says, I'm going to bless Esau. That's the oldest son. Right? But here's the thing. I've read that story a thousand times. And I've always kind of been like Team Isaac. 
Like, oh man, they're tricking Isaac. Oh man, they're tricking Esau. Oh man, like Isaac and Esau are getting manipulated out of this moment where basically Isaac's wife, careful who you marry, uh, trips him into blessing her favorite son. But the thing was, Esau gave up his birthright. And so that blessing was by right Jacob's. And I never really noticed that in the story until doing my soaking and realizing, wait a second, Rebecca was being sinful, but she was pursuing God's word. Because God said at their birth, Jacob's going to be the blessed one. And then Esau gave up his blessing. And so all Rebecca did was stand for what God said. But she did it wrong. How you do things matters to God. Because he controls the outcome. Right? And if we believe that God controls the outcome, we don't have to manipulate the movements. Right? That's not even the sermon. That's just free. I'm giving you some context. So what happens is, as every good brother, apparently back in the old Bible days, like just murdering your sibling was like a normal response. Uh, Because Esau looks at that and goes, you know what? I'm going to kill Jacob. And so, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Jacob was a mama's boy. He was in with mom. The Bible says he knew how to sew and he knew how to cook. And the Bible says that Jacob was a hunter. And he was hairy. Um, Yeah, whatever. Same name. I'm just kidding. Esau was a hunter, right? And so when the hunter says to the cook, I'm going to kill you, the cook needs to run, (laughs) right? And so the cook ran. Um, And before you judge me, I ain't no hunter. I don't know if it's obvious to you. My wife's the hunter. I'm the cook. That's not true. She's actually the cook, too. I eat the food. <laughs> I feel like we do it together, though. Um, <laughs> um, so Jacob runs, and he sees a woman. Her name is Rachel. And he falls absolutely in love with her. And so he says to his uncle, let's not talk about that. (laughs) He says to his uncle, hey, I want to marry your daughter. (laughs) Um, Wild wild times, wild times. Um, (laughs) He says to his uncle, because I want to marry your daughter, right? And then he says, if you work for me for seven years, you can have her. So he works for seven years. And back to that love concepts, the Bible says, but to him, it seemed but a moment. Because he loved Rachel so. Right? Back to that concept. The trial. See, we read seven years in one sentence. Could you imagine working grueling hours for seven years for a promise? See, us as the Bible readers, we have the beauty of, in one verse, seven years skips. We don't have to live through the process. And so, just as quickly as reading the Bible over, and it was but a moment to him, that is how it felt to him. Right? How we experience it is how it felt to him. Because when you're in love, even the process is wonderful. And I'm actually here to tell you that genuinely to fall madly in love with God would radically change your life in ways you didn't even know were possible. Because we seek first so many other things. But the Bible says seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. So it's like seven days to him or it's like a moment depending on your translation and he goes and he gets to marry her and he does the marriage and he goes into the room and it's dark and he has relations with his wife. That's right. And it ends up that it's Leah. Who the Bible says has dull eyes. Which I feel like that's mean. Um, 
So Rachel had an older sister. And the trickster just got tricked into marrying the wrong woman. Yeah. Right? And so he leaves the situation and then it, real, it turns out that he had married Leah and not Rachel. So he looks to his uncle and says, what the heck? <laughs> and his uncle says, well, it's our tradition, the, the woman, the oldest sister has to get married before the youngest sister. He's like, well, then you shouldn't have had a haughty second, right? Um, <laughs> and, and so he says, he says, but if you work for me another seven years, I'll let you have Rachel. Come on. And he does. Yeah. And it is but a moment to him. Yeah. 14 years of hard labor in the Middle East. Yeah. Seemed like a moment to him. But another thing that's really important in the Middle East is childbearing. Yeah. What you produce, legacy. And so Rachel, the woman that Jacob preferred, she, uh, she was barren. She couldn't have children. And so your boy goes to sleep with Leah a few times. <laughs> right? Now Leah is the rejected wife. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate and it's true. I actually think if you look across scripture, anytime you see multiple wives... You always see disruptive marriages. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right? That is why later in the New Testament, you'll literally see them say, like, unless you're a husband to just one life, wife, you cannot be a leader who represents the church of God. Nope. Right? And you'll see these wonderful and beautiful marriages, and then it'll be like, and then this girl joined. And it's like, why? Yeah. Right? And the Bible is a faithful history text. It's not saying that multiple marriages is necessarily okay with God, although the Bible doesn't ever condemn it, not even the New Testament. Um... But what it does teach us is that once you start adding on, yeah. you start to lose love. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And what happens when marriages are lust-centered yeah. instead of love-centered? Right. They never work. They inevitably fall apart. Mm -hmm. That'll preach. Oh, amen. <laughs> and so... Jacob starts to have children with Leah. Yeah. And she thinks yeah. this is her opportunity to be loved. Mm. Uh, to be so deprived of love that you misunderstand what love is. Yeah. I actually think we're sitting in that as a society and as a culture where over 50% of the population is addicted to pornography. Yeah. Right? Oh. We've sacrificed love in the name of lust. Oh. It's destructive. And it'll ruin your life just like it ruined their lives as well. Yeah. And so, first things first. They sleep together and she has a child. She names him Reuben. And she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, my husband will love me. She's... Producing a legacy out of a desire to be approved by man. Or a man. And then she conceives again. And she bears another son. And she said, the Lord has heard me and he has given me this son also. She called him Simeon. And again, it's just, she's seeking the approval of her husband. Yeah. 
and there's an interesting thing here because she thinks because God has favored me, he's going to love me more. And seeking God's favor to still get what you want is still not correct. Right? We have to learn to seek God for God. And I know so many people who's like, I want to be a successful blank to prove them wrong. And honestly, it's the grace of God that you don't become successful in that. Because then you'll begin to think that that's what earns you any type of respect or favor or love. But it was always God. That's right. Come on. And so she bears another son. And she said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. She's still seeking his approval. Through all these children, she's seeking his approval. And maybe this time he'll be attached to me. If you have to fight that hard for something, stop fighting for it. Yeah. Wow. If you have to fight that hard for someone's affection, don't fight for their affection. They're not worthy of it. Right. If you have to fight that hard for that kind of promotion or that kind of... Don't do things for recognition. It will destroy you. Mm-hmm. And what births from that... She called him Levi. And then last she conceived again and she bore a son. And she said, this time I will praise the Lord. There's something, there's two things happening here. One of them's sad. She's losing hope. She's losing hope that her husband will ever care about her. That he'll ever love her. That he'll ever appreciate her. But the beautiful thing is, instead of sinking into a depression, she leans to God. Right. And she conceives again. And then she calls this one Judah, which means to pray. And then she ceased bearing. Now, if you continue that story, she loses this perspective, unfortunately. But in this moment at the birth of Judah, something beautiful happens. And here's the beautiful thing that happens. Ready for me to get really charismatic for a moment and then prove it with scripture? Things that you birth with the desire to please the Lord will have a much longer lasting legacy than things that you birth in an attempt to please man. Do you know what tribe David's from? Do you know what Jesus is the line of the tribe of? Do you know where Jesus comes from? Judah. You know, Judah was big enough to become its own kingdom. Judah was the most, the plentiest of all the nations. See, what happens is if you look, Jesus becomes the lion of the tribe of Judah. And before Jesus was the lion of the tribe of something, there was a tribe of Judah. And before there was a tribe of Judah, there was a man named Judah who lived a righteous life. And even though he had other older brothers, his dad blessed him as the oldest born. Even though Joseph, the story we're going to, you're going to read about Joseph, and Judah's like a background character, but he's getting all the blessings. Because he was a faithful son. And before there was a faithful son, there was a woman who birthed for the first time in her life a legacy of just wanting to please the Lord. And that leads us through this timeline straight to Jesus. The book of Revelation begins to pop open as the lion appears. And the world ends and is reborn with the revelation of a lion savior. Versus the first time he came as a lamb. And again, if you trace it back, it starts with what? 
a rejected woman finally deciding that God is enough for her. There's a revelation there that's hard to catch. See, uh, when it comes to, to putting God first, I find that it's so easy to become distracted. It's so easy to lose perspective on the presence of God. This year has been a wonderful and beautiful year already. This year, again, we're going to see three, four marriages at least. Probably more in Jesus' name. This year we got like five children being birthed and the, the whole thing with Glenn works out six. And um, I'm just kidding. I brought it back. Um, I, actually, I'm realizing now for some context, not everyone gets that. Uh, Glenn took this like test where it's like, what is your next five years going to look like? And then it was like 2002, pregnant. 2003, pregnant. 2004, pregnant. 2005, pregnant. And, uh, and I'm interested to see. Uh, and so, you know, people try to spiritualize it, uh, but I just think you shouldn't take this kind of test. Um, <laughs> but so if, if that pans out, six. Um, <laughs> you get what city were you born in? What's your first pet's name? Oh, you're gonna be pregnant this year, <laughs> and we got your security code. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, a year of of marriages. And a year of birth. Yeah. And a year where we have to extend the building because we can't fit the children. Yeah. And, and a year where that elementary school opens its doors wide open and says they will literally put our branding in their building. We were just there recently and we were putting backpacks on kids. And, uh, no backpacks, right? Yeah. We were putting jackets on kids and shoes on kids and gloves on kids. And there was a kid with his toe hanging out of his shoe. And then he just, he didn't have a shoe. Like he didn't have a shoe and he was wearing shorts. And I said, we said to him, it's called why aren't you wearing shorts? I don't fit in them anymore. Why aren't you wearing your pants? I don't fit in them anymore. And then every other kid walked in and there was another kid, one more kid in the corner who was also wearing shorts. Guess what? They were brothers. Yeah. Because they couldn't afford pants. Like there is a beautiful opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus coming to a church near you in just a couple weeks because we are going to push with this school and with these families and we're going to love them the way that God's supposed to love. But this opportunity presenting itself like these deep dives where other churches are getting together and we're going to do life together, do messages, do services together instead of competing for people in the city. We're just going to bring them to one place. Like it's something so beautiful and it's something so lovely and another beautiful thing that happens is as the night of my daughter's birth they, they, they come to us and they say there's a problem she's not getting enough oxygen she's not getting enough nutrients the placenta's dying you need to force this child out now my wife being the woman of faith she is said no I being a panic induced man said we need to do this and she said no <laughs> and I didn't pull the man card because I saw her faith. There was no card to pull anyway. Um, but I really wanted to. I really wanted to be like, baby, as your husband, and then just get slapped inside the head. Uh, because I was panicking. Uh, she was in her own bodily fluids, and, and she had gone to the restroom, and so they, they were concerned that she was intaking waste. Which, fun fact, that, that intaking of waste is half the reason why my voice sounds like it does. And so I was having very real, I don't want my daughter to go through what I went through growing up. 
I don't want my daughter to have a, hey, uh, when the doctor tells uh, a 12-year-old, by the age of 13, this is going to dissipate or it's going to go into your lungs and you're going to die. I didn't want that for her. I honestly, to be selfish, I didn't want that for me. Yeah. Right? And I was worried. And on the day of my daughter's birth, they had extra nurses in the room that were from the emergency section of the building. They were there for when this baby was born blue or not breathing or possibly dead. They were going to take her away and try to save her life. And she was birthed and she was healthy and she was beautiful with absolutely no complications at all. And I was panicking and she had faith. And if I didn't have an attachment to someone so wonderful, I probably would have caved and forced things sooner than I should have forced them. But she had faith. And what happened was, as this baby was born, guess what? I have this over-the-top charismatic pastoral thing happen to me. That this is going to be a picture of our church. All of these promises of death and destruction and all the people standing in the room waiting to watch things fail are all going to be surprised when something healthy is born. And God spoke that. And he's been so faithful. And amidst all of that, I started... Aaron's birthday came by yeah. and, I, and I miss him and then it was last week was the one year anniversary of my grandma passing away yeah. and her and my grandpa who's over there in the back they basically raised me I love my mom and I love my dad but they were the grown ups in my life that <laughs> was my grandma and grandpa Come on. and then I'm sitting there and, and I'm, I'm sitting on my couch and I'm holding my baby and suddenly I feel a sharp pain in my arm and I look back and a scorpion crawled on me and stung me. What? Stung me. While I was holding my newborn baby, I was like, one more thing. And even though God has been so faithful and he's so clearly moving, I crumbled and I couldn't see. And just like Leah, I was distracted by other things besides God. Forgetting how faithful God was with the birth of my daughter. How faithful he's been with the marriages in the house. How faithful he's being with the birth of children. Even the prophetic declaration that our child was born first this year out of all the births that are coming. Amongst the opportunities and the schools opening up. Amongst all the things that are beautiful and lovely, it's so easy to focus in on what doesn't work. It's so easy to lose sight of my love for God and then begin to want things to be different or want things to change. And January was the weirdest mix of one of the best months of my life and just one of the worst. And my mind goes back to this story of, of... Mary and Martha and, and they're, they're sitting at a house with Jesus and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha's working and then Martha says to Jesus Jesus are you going to make my sister help me because I'm doing all this work for you and then Jesus says she chose right and what she chose will not be taken from her the one who stopped Striving 
But the thing is, and I talk about this a lot, because there's something beautiful about Martha that she doesn't get credit for. Martha learned her lesson. Yeah. And then later, Martha and Mary are sitting at a funeral because their little brother passed away. When things, at the peak of things not making sense, we house Jesus, we feed Jesus, Jesus comes through our town, we are friends to of the Messiah. God in the flesh comes and hangs out with us, but we're crying at a funeral. Yeah. And the Bible says, and they get word that Jesus is near. The Bible says, and Martha runs to the feet of Jesus. Mary stayed in her grief. Martha learned something. Through her trial and her pain, she learned finding peace was as easy as sitting at the feet of Jesus. And eventually Mary's going to join too. And she's going to get peace also. But it's so easy to lose sight of God's presence and goodness. And so, really quickly, and I mean quick, I'm going to run through them fast, and then we're just going to worship. Um, I want to give you three, technically four things, that if you're in the middle of something, and you're having a hard time getting your affection back to God, it's four things. Here's the thing I want to tell you about all four of these things. All four of these things are things that you have heard a thousand times. There's not going to be any fresh revelation in this. There is just going to be the reminder to go back to your first love. Mm -hmm. First things first, read your Bible. Second yeah. Timothy three sixteen to seventeen says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, yep. for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Yep. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hear that. All scripture is breathed out by God. And if you're feeling distant or having a hard time connecting, go back to scripture. Because there is, in the words of my pastor, there's a wind on the Bible. There's a breath on it. And as you read it, you're actually reading the words spoken by God. And again, we as Christians, the standard or orthodox view of the Bible and Christianity is even though a bunch of men wrote this and put, compiled it together, every word in there is the word of God. Whether he is teaching theology or faithfully telling the history and story of what happened, it's all breathed by God. And you'll find that when you're having a hard time catching your breath, sometimes just sitting down with the Word in a quiet room, even though there's chaos all around, you'll find life. Amen? Now, Pastor Eric preached on that last week, so that's the one I'm going to spend the least amount of time on. Next is worship. Right? Worship is John 4.24. And it says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here's what's really important. This is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. This is just him telling, she goes, when the Messiah comes, he's going to teach us. And Jesus says, the Jews worship on this mountain and they know who they worship, but your people worship, they know not what. 
Like your people, you guys are worshiping, but you don't know who you're worshiping. And he says, but the time is coming where God's people will come and worship in spirit and in truth. Basically, Jesus was saying right now the temple is where God is, but a time is coming where he'll be everywhere. And unless you worship the real God of the Bible, and you don't worship him in a specific place or a specific way, but you just worship him with you and who you are. Right. You'll find him there every time. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. It's it, it feels counterintuitive when you're going through something. You just want to text someone. You just want to call someone. Or you just want to go do whatever it is you do to numb your pain. So maybe just hit that iPod. <laughs> I even have an iPod. Um, <laughs> it should just open up Spotify. There we go. You just open up Spotify and let worship music fill the room. And just worship the God that has the answer to the situation. Yeah. Next thing you can do is pray. Now, I just, I'm going to break my, my system here. Uh, this is the part where I'm supposed to give you a Bible verse on prayer. Um, I'm not going to do that. There's a thousand of them. Yep. Prayer without ceasing. That's the one that I probably would have given you. Right? But here's what happens. I think so many people have their own definition of prayer. And so saying, hey, pray, isn't helpful. Because each of us have our own picture of what that means. And I want to tell you, each of you are probably carrying a piece of the puzzle. Instead of like, oh yes, God will talk to you your own way. No, sometimes prayer needs to be you talking about what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Sometimes prayer needs to look like you shutting up and letting God talk. Yeah. See, if prayer is just a thing you do driving to work, you're missing what prayer is. Right. Yeah. Prayer is a place. It's meeting with a person. Mm -hmm. My wife and I don't only communicate when we're in the car together driving somewhere. Yeah. We talk in our living room. We talk in our house. We talk while we're out and about. Sometimes when I'm out and about and I'm trying to do something, she calls me to talk. Right? Because <clears throat> communication is important. Yes. And God needs to be the same way in our lives. And, and so if, if you've seen prayer, if prayer is that thing that you do in the shower while doing something else to get ready for your day, you've missed the power of prayer. Because prayer is so life-changing. And if you actually give time waking up 30 minutes early, 10 minutes earlier even, just putting on some worship and getting on your knees and just talking to God, instead of using prayer as the thing that you're doing while you're in the middle of doing other things, you will find it will begin to envelop your life and change you. And so you have to pray without ceasing. But, but pray as if you're interacting with someone who's in love with you. Yeah, that's Not pray as if you're giving, you're, you're telling your wishes to your genie. Oh, yeah. Or you're, you're giving battle commands to your commander for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> or you're altering the destiny of the future that God has already written. No, it's, it's personal and it's relational. And that's what prayer is for. And that's it. Too many of us grew up on televangelists. And whether we know it or not, their view of prayer infected the rest of Christianity going forward. Whether you agree with the televangelists or not. 
And those moments of big and boisterous and powerful prayer, they're real and, and they move that way also. But it's not always that. And if that's what you're looking for, you will find yourself disappointed 99 times out of 100 in the presence of God. Because you're looking for something God never promised. But some man or some TV show or some something promised you. And gave the perspective. But it's personal and it's, it's quiet a lot of times. And it's intimate. And it'll, it'll bring you to tears sometimes. And sometimes you'll feel like nothing's actually happening, but you stay anyway. And you fall in love with the God who's present with you. And the last fourth thing, uh, it's kind of, that's why I said it's kind of like three and a half, because this thing is going to happen in Bible study, in worship, and in prayer. And that word is this meditation. Now pause. Not a, not Hinduism's version of meditation or postmodern's definition of meditation. Meditation is a concept in the Bible. It is talked about all the way from Genesis straight through. I don't think it's in Revelation, but I think it's mentioned. I know it's mentioned in the New Testament a bunch of times. I just don't know what book it's mentioned last in. But it is through the entirety of Scripture, the concept of meditation. Now, in the world, they'll tell you meditation means to empty yourself. But the Bible says meditation is to fill yourself up with the things of God. Right? And so I want to show you something. Psalms 143, verse 5. David, I believe it's David writes I remember the days of old I meditate in all that you have done and I ponder the works of your hand you see what's happening he is meditating on all that God has done meditate during worship you'll hit the moment yeah we like to scream and we like to shout well you guys don't really that much honestly and so I'm trying to get you guys to do it more but it's important to do that but then there's also the time for worship needs to level out so people can just get on their face and just think about how good God is and reading the Bible is important. But there's a reason why we're doing the SOAP method. The first is scripture. The second is observation. And then it's application. And then it's prayer. Literally, that prayer is for you to sit back and meditate on what you read. What did God speak to me through the scripture that I read today? Yes. And let God begin to talk to you. And same with prayer. I already kind of spoiled it. Prayer is interacting and talking to God. Sometimes in the place of prayer, you really got to just stop worrying and talking. And just sitting down and letting God move. Because I will tell you what, most times when I have received breakthrough with God or when I have felt overwhelmed by something, uh, when I finally got peace, it wasn't in when I went to the Bible to read a Bible verse. And it wasn't when I put on loud worship music and jumped around because I've tried that too. And it wasn't even when I talked to God about my issues. Most times the peace of God comes when I finally shut up and I let God talk. And I think because of social media we've lost the ability to be quiet. And because we've lost the ability to be quiet we've lost one of the most important aspects of our relationship with God. So the reason why God calls it the secret place. You hear people often refer to it as your quiet time. In most schools, when I was growing up, probably not anymore, after the Pledge of Allegiance, there was a minute of silence. And that was to pray and meditate on God. It's built in to the foundation of Scripture is the implication that sometimes you're just sitting 
I mean, my hyper-charismatic friend, charismatic friends call it soaking. And it's honestly probably the appropriate word. You just let something soak. What's the point of it? It's so that it gets saturated in what it's soaking in. So much that if I were to pick it up and squeeze it, it all comes pouring out. Because it's so filled by that thing. And as the worship team comes up, I want to give us an opportunity. I'm sorry that my first week back I was like, pray. Um, but I'm also not sorry. Because here's, here's the thing. Um, church services will not change your life. They will lead you to the thing that will change your life, but they will not change your life. Let, let, me, let, me, let me actually under, over-clarify that. Sometimes they will change your life, but in the long run, they're not going to change a lot. Honestly, three weeks from now, you're going to forget this sermon. Um, and that's okay, because I will too. And so if I'm not staying soaked in God, in His Word, in worship, in prayer, eventually we lose sight of God. Uh, there's an old quote that I, I love a lot uh, where the guy says, God, keep my heart desperate for you because I tend to wander when I lose sight of my need for you. And I think that quote has so hammered in on the human condition, it's ridiculous. God, teach my heart to always remain desperate.